Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. I began basically what's going to be a series talking about wisdom. And I want us to turn to Proverbs 4. I'm going to read from this real quick. Let's pray first, Father. Father, you're the font of all wisdom. Outside of you, outside of your word, outside of your knowledge, everything else is pure foolishness. So I want to thank you today, Father, for a concise and a precise revelation of your word, revelation of the truth. I want to thank you, Father, that you said you would indeed keep us in all of our ways, that if we hid your word in our heart, that you would watch over us, you would keep all of our steps, and we would not stumble. So I want to thank you, Father, as we look at deception today, look at some of the aspects of deception, and what Scripture has to say about it. I just thank you, Father, again, for that spirit of wisdom and revelation. We want you to speak to our hearts, not just our heads. We thank you, Father, for a revelation of the day that we live in. Again, for the extreme stress that's in the months and years to come. But how indeed you have always made a way of escape for your people. And so I give you thanks, Father, that you help us to better comprehend and understand this. And I thank you for taking us as far as you want us to go this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Once you turn to Proverbs 4, like I said last week, I started to speak about just wisdom. And I want to read these verses again. I got to tell you something before I start. You see this book? I just want to remind you that this is the book of books. Okay? There is no higher wisdom. It is foolishness to think that any other wisdom or any other source carries greater power or greater insight or greater wisdom than this. The truth in this book has been producing life for over 6,000 years. I said the truth that's in this book has been producing life and liberty for over 6,000 years. It is tried and it is tested. God's Word says that over and over. It speaks about how it's tried by fire. It's been in the refiner's fire. It's been in the crucible. It's come out pure. When people walk by it and truly make a decision to live by it, have their minds renewed to it, God brings great life into their midst every single time. Okay? I've got enough notes here to talk for four hours. So please pray for Peter on the front row. You don't have to go through this, like I said, a lot of stuff. But I'm going to start from Proverbs chapter 4 in the Amplified Bible, starting at verse 5. Proverbs 4, starting at verse 5. I'll wait till they get up. There it is. Get skillful and godly wisdom. Get understanding, discernment, comprehension, and interpretation. Do not forget and do not turn back from the words of my mouth. This is God speaking. Verse 6, forsake not wisdom, and she will keep, defend, and protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is, get wisdom. 
Skillful and godly wisdom. For skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. I want you just to say that with me. Skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. Let's say it again. Skillful and godly wisdom is the principal thing. It's the primary. It's the prime root. It's the absolute lowest common denominator of all truth. To have a revelation of that. Wisdom is the principal thing. He says, wisdom is the principal thing. And with all you have gotten, get understanding, discernment, comprehension, and interpretation. Verse 8, prize wisdom highly. Please. (laughs) Prize wisdom highly and exalt her. And what will she do for you? She will exalt and promote you. She will bring you to honor when you embrace her. Wisdom, the wisdom of God will always bring you to a place of honor when you make the decision to actually embrace her and to hold fast to her. Verse 9, she shall give to your head a wreath of gracefulness, a crown of beauty and glory will she deliver to you. Verse 10, hear, O my son, and receive my sayings and the years of your life shall be many. I have taught you in the way of skillful and godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God. I have led you in paths of uprightness. When you walk, your steps shall not be hampered. Your path will be clear and open, praise God. And when you run, you shall not stumble. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Can I please exhort everybody in the church? Do not let go. Sounds very simple, but I'm just, as we start this from the gate here, do not let go of God's wisdom. There are 2,000 million situations in the earth today that will do their utmost to make you let go of God's wisdom. This book, like I said, has been setting people free for over 2,000 years, 6,000 years actually, 6,000 years. And we've gotten to the point now where, again, you know, hell has worked its best to deceive to the point that, again, we live in a world where people call this stuff vanity. They call it stupid. They call it a myth. They say it doesn't. It, there's no such thing. I mean, talking to Kenny earlier, he was talking about meeting some young people who literally had never even heard of anybody named Jesus Christ in their entire life. And, and you think about the fact that how, you know, How can anybody in this age, how can that be true? How can there be anybody alive that hasn't heard about Jesus Christ? And even with those, some of them know the name because they curse with it. They don't know that they're talking about a living God. Because they're estranged from the truth. They've never had that opportunity. This is again why you and I need to take this message everywhere we go. This is not something we just hide within ourselves in church. Wheresoever we go, we're supposed to have this in the foremost of our thought. But it says, take firm hold of instruction. Do not let her go. Guard her. It says, for she is your life. I I just really want you to catch this as we begin. For she is your life. Verse 14, enter not into the path of the wicked. You know what the word wicked means in Hebrew? It means twisted. The word for evil and wicked, and literally the root, it means to twist. It means to take something that was sincere. That's what it says in the lexicon. To take something that is sincere... Or that has integrity. It means it's perfect. It's not messed up. But to take something that isn't messed up. And twist it. So that it is is messed up. (laughs) 
Wickedness simply means somebody takes truth and they twist it. Did you hear me? That's what wickedness is. Some, where people have taken truth and they've twisted it to fit their fleshly desires. Take firm hold of instruction. Do not let her go for she is your life. Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Verse 15, avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have caused trouble or vexation. Their sleep is taken away unless they've caused somebody to fall. Think about that. How hard hell is working out there doing anything. They, don't, they can't sleep. I've got to find somebody else I can deceive, somebody else I can mess up with. Verse 17, for they eat the bread of wickedness and they drink the wine of violence. But the path of the uncompromisingly just and righteous is like the light of dawn that shines more and more brighter and clear until it reaches its full strength and glory in the perfect day to be prepared. Speaks about how the path of the just, King James says, the path of the just grows brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. And what it means by that is perfect day means when the sun is directly overhead and there's no shadows. And this is what begins to happen. The more you dedicate yourself to being in this book, I mean every day, I tell you, I, I don't care how many times you've heard it. Right now, it's like there's a passion in me to get this across to people like never before. You need to be in this book every day. You, are, you desperately need to be in this book every single day. If you're not in this book, you will be deceived. Because there's something in the human heart that longs to understand or longs to have more information and longs to have something new. We're going to get to that in a bit. And if you don't realize that this is the book, then you will go away and you'll find yourself digging into anything that comes along. And you will, be, you will, find, yourself, you will find yourself deceived. And you can't afford that right now. The perfect day. Verse 19, the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And here's these classic, these last passages. These are some of the first scriptures I was ever taught at Ramah 100 years ago. My son, attend to my words. Consent and submit to my sayings. Let them not depart from your sight, but keep them in the center of your heart. Why? Because they're life to those who find them. They are life to those who find them, healing and health to all their flesh. God's word is life, healing, and health to all your flesh. Verse 23 says, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard, for out of it flow the springs of life. We've spoken to that so often, but you really must see that. Why would God constantly tell us to guard your heart? Guard your heart. Be careful of what gets in your spirit. When he speaks of your heart, he's speaking about your human spirit. Be careful what you allow in your spirit. Because out of your heart, out of your spirit, flows the issues of life. In other words, what that speaks to is whatever you actually believe. When the pressure's on, whatever you actually believe in your heart, life will come from that belief system. Now that means life for bad stuff as well as life for good stuff. In other words, there's a force that God's planted in the human heart, the human spirit. And it is a force of faith. But you see, it's just like soil. Remember the truth about, you know, Mark 4, the different categories of soil. You can take a beautiful, beautiful flowering plant and you can place it in the ground, the seed of it, and it'll bring forth that beautiful plant. You can take marijuana seed, like I used to do years ago. <laughs> You can take marijuana seed, you can place it in the earth, 
And guess what? Marijuana will grow. The earth doesn't know any difference. Because God made the earth to produce from whatever seed you put in it. Plain and simple. Your heart has been given to you. Your belief system, this belief, this thing when you get down to the nitty gritty and you, what you really, really believe, what you really, really believe, what you really, really believe, God's made you like that so that you will produce fruit unto life. But if you believe a lie and if you continue to open your ears unto lies and stuff, you'll bring forth fruit unto death. That's just what it says. I'm just talking about what the word says. So he says, keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard for out of it flow the springs of life. Put away from you false and dishonest speech and willful and contrary talk put far from you. And let your eyes look right on with fixed purpose and let your gaze be straight before you. In other words, get single minded, lock into the truth that is God's word and do not, do not, do not walk away from it. Consider well the path of your feet. In other words, look and see where you're going. Where is it leading you right now? Consider well the path of your feet and let all your ways be established in order to right. Turn not aside to the right hand or to the left, but remove your foot from evil. Amen? I'm just going to start reading here off some of my notes, like I said, otherwise it will be forever. Now, it should not surprise any of us that there are strong deceptions and powerful delusions around the earth today. But this is exactly what the scriptures predicted would happen. All the way through the New Testament were warned of these days over and over again. Turn to Matthew 24 real quickly. We're going to have some Bible calisthenics this morning. In other words, we will be racing to and fro and see how far we can get. In Matthew 24, Jesus warned us. In verse 5, Jesus said, For many will come in and on the strength of my name, appropriating the name which belongs to me, saying, I am the Christ, the Messiah, and they will lead many astray. Amen? Verse 11, Jesus says, and many, let me read verse 10. It says, and then many will be offended and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him, God, whom they ought to trust and obey. And they'll stumble, they'll fall away, and they'll betray one another. They'll pursue one another with hatred. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive and lead many into error. Okay, come on down to verse 23. If anyone says to you, then, behold, here is the Christ, the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ, false prophets will arise and they will show great signs and wonders. So as deceive and lead astray, if possible, even the elect God's chosen ones. Now, I really want you to catch this. We're entering a day when, again, there's going to be deceivers out there that function in supernatural powers. Do you really understand how important it is for you to recognize that? But let's face it, most people, if somebody walks in here and quote-unquote works a miracle, you will want to follow him. If you don't know God's word, if you don't have a spirit that knows how to discern between darkness and light, you'll just assume that they have something, bless God, that validates who they are, because look what happened. But Jesus Christ himself said there's going to be many false deceivers that are going to come and they're going to work signs and wonders. I said they're going to work signs and wonders. What does that tell us? Well, one thing that it tells us, if nothing else, is just because somebody has signs and wonders, it does not make them a true follower of Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm just reading the Bible, so don't anybody get mad at me, all right? Jesus warned us, cult leaders in the last days will have supernatural powers and the many will be deceived by them. 
The Apostle John said that the test question, you find in 1 John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, the test question is whether they will confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in the flesh. Turn to 1 John 4 real quick, way in the back. You have to excuse me? Well, you won't have to excuse me. This is, this is a little bit of Bible school this morning. So just keep smiling. Bobby, if you see anybody start to fall asleep, would you please slap them? The Apostle John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove, prove, test the spirits to discover whether they proceed from God. For many false prophets have gone forth into the world. And I want to stop right there. To remind you, when I first, Julie and I first took over being pastors of this church, you know, for the first four years or three and a half years, God would not allow me to teach on anything but the love of God, the love walk. And I shared way back in that one of the things that changed my life was when the Lord had me to take the entire New Testament and everywhere I saw his name, God, Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. He said, I am love, God is love. He said, every time you see my name, Every time you see my name, I want you to read the book again, read the whole New Testament again. But every time you see any derivation of my name, I want you to put the word love there because I want to give you a greater revelation of what I really am like. Because the moment, you know, the moment we say love, we'll often think, oh, gooey, gooey. Oh, you know what I mean? That's how Julie speaks to me when she's really, she goes, easy, easy, easy. But let me read it and put this word love in here. Beloved, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove and test the spirits, listen, to discover whether they proceed from love. The, one of the major issues that you have to have is a revelation of the love of God. Any spirit that causes you to rebuke, criticize, judge, take people away, bring division or confusion is not of love. I said it's not of love. The biggest picture in the book, remember, is just that truth. Our God is love. Love is the greatest force, the most powerful force ever exhibited on planet Earth. But again, we, most of us, have only experienced a carnal element of love or a relational type of love that we call love. But we're again talking about the love of God that knows every stupid, silly thing about you that there is. He knows every plot, plan, and device that you might have in your soul. But he still just radically, obscenely loves you. You know, just he's there. I want to, I just, I, I just want to hold you, hug you, love you. I want to bless you into a good future. But any spirit, the way you test the spirit is to whether, do not put faith in every spirit, but prove and test the spirits to discover whether or not they proceed from God. For many false prophets have gone forth into the world. Verse 2, by this, you may know and perceive and recognize the Spirit of God. Then recognize, by this you may know and perceive and recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit which acknowledges and confesses the fact that Jesus Christ the Messiah actually has become man and has come in the flesh is of God and has God as its source. You hear that? 
when you, I don't have time, I was studying, like I said, Julie said, I never got off my computer the last few days. But I mean, you know, I've never taught on cults and stuff, but I'm reading some of my old notes from Raymond and other stuff. I, I don't have it here, but I'll probably do some, I, I may do it next week. I told Julie I might steal her slot next Sunday. I don't know, because I want to, I want to get through some of these things. But, you know, the basic issue about how you recognize a cult, how you recognize a cult basically is ultimately what they really think about Jesus. Many will say he's a, he was a great prophet, but they won't say he was the Son of God come in the flesh. That's what upsets Jehovah's Witnesses. They go nuts when you start talking about the fact he's the Son of God come in the flesh. You have to understand, I've said this a million times, and God help me, and God help us to really catch this. The greater... The greatest lie there is, is always full of much truth. Now, did you hear me? People will say, but this is true, that's true. Listen to what they said. Listen to what they're saying. The major underlying foundation of every cult is to bring forth some truth to ensnare you into the deception that's actually at the heart of what they're all about. And you've got to understand this. The greatest deceivers that have ever lived in the last few centuries... We're deceived. <laughs> you probably don't. That's, that's revelation, I know. <laughs> no, hear what I'm saying. They themselves have so moved away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, even if that is if they ever began there. I said if they ever began there. That they themselves have been deceived. You've heard me quote 1 Thessalonians 5 several times over and over again. If you believe a lie... You can believe a lie. It says, if you believe a lie, you'll be damned for it, and God will give you over to strong delusion. God himself. You see, this is the thing. God will not, over, God will not overrule your will. He's given each and every one of us the right, and the, the right to choose. We've been made what's called free moral agents. He will never force you to believe anything. Jesus Christ never forced anybody to believe anything. He always brought them, though, to a point of decision. And then it was their choice. They had to make the choice whether to walk in light or to walk in darkness. But I'm telling you, this is serious right now because of the hour that we live in. Because, again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but never mind. Let me just read. By this you may know and perceive and recognize the Spirit of God or the Spirit of love. Every spirit which acknowledges and confesses the fact that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, actually has become man and has come as the Son of God and come in the flesh is of God. And this is one of the root things that you have to know when you deal with people and you think if you want to, there's questions that you need to ask when you begin to listen to people. I was counseling somebody just last week. And uh, he won't get mad. He's here, but he won't get mad about this. But the thing is, it's funny because I was reading, like I said before, about it. And I actually heard, uh, I was talking to my friend Doug Williams. Doug and I were talking about how, you know, when we have uh, like these leaders meetings, leaders meetings he and I used to do. The first, we were taught, Doug and I were taught this. The first question that you ask people is this. Who have you been listening to? And what are you reading? Because who you listen to, what you read, shapes your life. It will shape your future. Like I keep saying, this is the book of books. I'm a reader. Julie will tell you, I'm constantly reading. I read all manner of Christian books, but I read no books more than I read this book. 
This is the book I have to hide in. Many times God has told me, no offense to the book table here, Mike and Sheila, but many times God has told me to go on a book fast. In other words, he said, set those Christian books down because you're giving more time to those books than you are to my book. This is the one true book that gives us the life of God, the life of Christ, and the will of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 here says, And every spirit which does not acknowledge and confess, this is 1 John 4, 3, Good, they do have it up there. And every spirit which does not acknowledge and confess that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. Now listen to this. This is where the Amplified shines. But would annul, destroy, sever, or disunite. I want us to say those together if you got it. Would you just read that? Any spirit that would annul, destroy, sever, or disunite him. Who's him? God, Jesus, his word. Any spirit that begins to bring division, that brings confusion, is not of God. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have questions. There are legitimate questions that are fine for you to ask. But you must also remember this, that the root of all deception is found in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. When the very first deception happened, the very first deception started with what? A question. Satan said, Hath God said, Shall you not eat of every tree of the garden? The very first, the master, the father of lies, he's called the father of lies. The very first deception starts by asking you, what has God actually said? If you don't know what God's actually said, and you're living by somebody's opinion, you have an open door to deception. Please hear me. Please hear me. We just read out of Matthew 24 that even the very elect can be deceived because they go away from this book. I don't want that happening to anybody. There's a lot of junk out there right now. You hear me? I mean, I don't know. I can't remember this one uh, Hispanic guy, but you know, there's at least right now in the earth, there's at least 15 people who say that they are Jesus Christ. I flat out say that they're Jesus Christ. This one Hispanic guy has miracles all the time in his quote unquote ministry, lays hands on the sick, talks about Jesus. But he says, he flat says, I am Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did this part, but now he's given me his mantle and I am now Jesus Christ in the earth. And I'm here to fulfill the rest of his life. I mean, you know, you, and you, you listen to these people talk. And I want, like I said, the thing about people that are deceived is that they're deceived. They, this guy actually believes he's Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Look, I can stand up here and believe I'm Jimi Hendrix. But there's something in my background that tells me I'm not Jimi Hendrix. One thing, I can play the guitar so much better than he could. Hallelujah. But any spirit, every spirit, verse 3 again, every spirit which does not acknowledge, confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but would annul or destroy or sever or disunite him, listen, is not of God, does not proceed from him. This non-confession is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you heard that it was coming, and now it is already in the world. 
All I'm doing is reading scripture. Did you hear me? He said, any spirit, because that's what, you know, anti-Christ means. Anti means against. Christ means the anointing. The anointed one. Any spirit that begins to speak against God's anointing is the spirit of Antichrist. And this book says the spirit of Antichrist. Don't worry about who the Antichrist is. I don't think he's in this room. Could be. (laughs) No. But think about that. The spirit that will ultimately consume and possess the flesh and blood body who will be the Antichrist is already in this world. You really have to hear that. But you have to see, how do I recognize? Anybody that unknows says the word doesn't mean that. Disunites, tries to bring division. Anything that does that, any of the spirit that takes you away from the love of God, any spirit that tells you, excuse me, tells you I, I would not to go to church. Julie and I went to one of our very first trips. when we, we had it, We'd been married and we hadn't had a honeymoon ever. And we had some friends that had moved to Spain. On the Costa del Crime over there, you know, Costa del Sol. You know what I mean? It is the Costa del Crime, my God. But we were there, and we were with our two friends, and they're actually older couple, but they were like pastors, and they were starting like a church. And they used, I, Julian, I used to minister for them all the time out in Sunningdale by, by Ascot. And uh, she said, Oh, I really want you to meet this girlfriend of ours. She, she said, uh, This girl's incredible. She's really a prophetess. She's an incredible prophetess. And it's amazing, this thing that she says. So long story short, they bring her and we meet her. And I just said, nah, just the way it is. I said, well, what church do you go to out of curiosity over here? Where do you fellowship? And she just looked right at me. She said, oh, I don't fellowship anywhere. I said, really? Why is that? And she said, well, the Lord told me I don't need to go to church. And then she said this, but that wasn't the case. She said, I said, well, isn't that a little bit dangerous? She said, no. She said, God's told me that he's going to speak directly to me. And I don't even need to read the Bible any longer. Now, she's actually, she said that, didn't she? She said, I don't, God, God told me I don't need to read the Bible. Well, I have to tell you that a few warning signals went up in my spirit. Duh. <laughs> I got to tell you, only a demon will tell you not to read the Bible. I say that with no shame. Do you hear me? Only a demon. Only a demon would tell you not to read this book. It's your choice who you listen to. Any spirit that would divide, that would annul, that would sever, that would disunite the body of Christ is the spirit or the working of the Antichrist. Deceivers. Deception, they're everywhere. Cults, the Church of Christ, scientists, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, these cults present a clear and present danger to the true church. That danger takes two forms. First, the cults are converting many professing Christians. I said the cults are converting many professing Christians. One expert on the cults who grew up in a cultic group once expressed this problem in these terms. This is really interesting to me. Christians are out to convert pagans. Cults are out to convert Christians. Listen to that. Christians are out to convert pagans. But cults are out to convert Christians. 
The statement is very true. The average cult member is a thoroughly indoctrinated individual. He knows what he believes and why he believes it. The average Christian, by contrast, usually has little biblical knowledge. He's not sure what he believes, and he cannot defend his faith. The result, as cult expert Walter Martin once put it, is, quote, the average, that at, he said, quote, the average Jehovah's Witness can turn the average Christian into a theological pretzel in two minutes flat. Cults masquerade as Christian. You do understand that. The Jim Jones massacre in Guiana, wherever that was, I forget all those years ago. I mean, Jim Jones, Dr. Cole, who was again my spirit, one of my spiritual dads, as you know, he knew Jim Jones. He said he was one of the most incredible Bible teachers he'd ever met. One of the most incredible Bible teachers he ever met. And yet, well, because of the persuasive power and command that he had of speech and the command he had of teaching, he took his teaching to the point where all of his followers did indeed follow him all the way over. To, I forget where it was. I, if anybody remembers. What? Guiana. Guiana. Okay, to Guiana. It basically wound up, they used to call it drinking Kool-Aid. He wound up telling them that for them to reach absolute perfection, they needed to depart from this earthly shell. And so he helped them by giving them all Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. And so the entire group of, what, 180 or something that were there, I forget the number. The number doesn't make any difference. 800? Okay. Hey, well, that's even more. They've got pictures of them. 800 people all laying down in rows, holding hands, dead because of a guy who was an incredible speaker, an incredible communicator. You've really got to hear me about this. This is why I love the fact that God says, I'm going to take the foolish things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. Listen, there are people that have a lot. You've heard me say this again before. There are incredible communicators out there. And if that's all you want, they can intellectually tie you into a knot. They can intellectually persuade Persuade, persuade until you get to a place where you, my God, this has got to be truth because look how he's brought these words together and what it means. And, I, you know, same thing happened with this, uh, I forget what the name of this cult is, but one of them, this is a cult again who believed that, you know, that they were actually, they were to be converted to aliens when they died. And the very same thing, it's called the Uriah cult, Uriah or Anariah, something like A-N-A-R-U-J something. And basically the same thing. And so basically he murdered every single one of his followers so that they could depart their shell. They could depart their shell to meet this spaceship. Remember in San Diego, in California, years back, the same thing. They had this big cult there where they had all these people, Bible believers, Bible believers, Bible believers, but people who didn't understand the difference. They didn't understand the base of all faith, which is again the love of God. The love of God never hurts anyone. The love of God never hurts anyone. But again, same thing. They were all waiting to arrive, to be met by the spaceship in the air, and I forget how many died there. They all, you know, they all died. Just stuff that you think, you know, how can any sane person go for stuff like that? And yet many of them were physicians. Many of them were attorneys. I mean, these were, quote-unquote, thinking people. 
but yet they were deceived away from the simple truth of the word. I mean, you know, I used to visit all the time Tex Watson. I don't know if you know who Tex Watson is and Bruce Smith. They were, if you, any of you remember the, uh, the Tate LaBianca killings? Well, you know, uh, what's Charles Manson? What's the, what's the name of the film? Charles Manson tells the whole story. Oh, gosh, I can't think of it. But anyhow, you know, it took America by storm. You know, Charles Manson, this wicked guy who they, uh, they broke into these, these starlets' homes and what have you and killed them. And, and actually, it was Tex Watson and Bruce that actually did the murders. But Tex got radically saved. And when I was doing prison ministry a lot, uh, I became really close friends with him. And I mean, he turned, he and Bruce had turned this Vacaville prison. He turned it into a church. I mean, he was so powerful preaching the gospel in church that they wound up giving him a job as a chaplain to go from cell block to cell block to cell block. When I went to that church inside, they had a church inside prison that was better than most church out here. I mean, he had a staff, he had deacon boards, he had elders, there was plenty, something like 27 elders. They had like 14 different microphones. I mean, people had brought money and helped them. They had tape libraries all over the place. I always remember when I'd minister to him, when I'd get ready to leave, when I, he'd have me come in to speak, when I got ready to leave, he'd always say, Rod, he said, just keep on, just keep on out there, brother, just keep on preaching. He said, and keep on loving us. He said, you're sending us to the best Bible school on the planet. He said, we got nothing but time on our hands. And, you know, they're going to be there for life, you know. And, and he said, you know, I mean, the guy, they speak Greek, they speak Hebrew, they study all these things. But I said all that to say, Tex said, like you can see it on... Uh, Helder Skelder, that's a movie, you know, Helder Skelder. But anyhow, you can, uh, Tex said categorically, and they taught about that the way Charles Manson affected everybody is he used the Bible. That he was an avid reader of the Bible, and he took them through Scripture over and over again, and he got them to the place where they believed they were doing God's will. And you see, even right now, I can't take you through the nitty-gritty of it, but I'm trying to tell you, this is the way the Scripture says, be careful lest when you think you stand, you fall. You hear me? Did you hear me? Be careful lest when you think you stand, you fall. You must have an accountability group. You must have people that you run stuff by. You must be willing to hear. Do you hear me? The phrase they use over here is you must be willing to have somebody speak into your life. No man is an island. All that kind of stuff. You will not make it by yourself. It's just crazy. Crazy. Let me read. A real cult masquerades as Christian. A cult employs Christian terms, quotes the Bible, uses Christian symbols, but it is not a true expression of the Christian faith. The fundamental thing that sets a cult apart from Orthodox Christianity is its concept of Jesus. That concept is always distorted and perverted. In short, cults present a false Jesus. Cults will cause you to major on a minor point until you begin to judge others. You begin to strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. In other words, you begin to strain at something so small that it becomes the life force behind your pursuit and you miss entirely the big picture. I said the big picture. Julie and I knew a guy when we were out in High Wycombe had a church. This guy, he was sharp, he was intelligent, owned a printing business, what have you. But he suddenly got interested in numerology. Now, biblical numerology is reality. 
there is great truth to be found in understanding numbers. Numbers mean things. Numbers stand for stuff. They do. It's interesting. Bullinger wrote an incredible book. Bullinger is one of the finest authors as far as research and stuff in Bullinger's book of Numbers, where he talks about the length and the, I mean, you know, the, the tabernacle of God, you know, the Moses, Mosaic tabernacle, perfect, precise. I mean, our God is precise. But nevertheless, you see, you can take, Dr. Cole used to say this way, all error, all error is truth taken to an extreme. Do you really hear that? Real error is normally a truth. Nobody says it isn't a truth, but it's taken to an extreme. In other words, you become so right, you're wrong. I said, you're so right, you're wrong. You miss the big picture. I'm going to keep going here for a moment. Turn to 2 Timothy 4, if you would. 2 Timothy 4. Because I've got so much stuff. I mean, the, the pastoral epistles are crucial to reading in some of this. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God. Oh, I know what. Let me finish the story. I'm sorry. I didn't finish the story about the guy with the numbers. He began to get so caught up in numbers. Like, I remember we started to rent this hotel, this, the Crest Hotel there on the on the, where the M40 and the A404 right there connects. There was a hotel there, and we used to meet there. And he went in there and began, he said, what are you doing? And he's measuring the room exactly. He wanted to see the measurements of the room to make sure, to see what it might be producing for numerology. I mean, everywhere he went. Long story short, this guy got so caught up in a gnat, a point that has truth in it, that Julie would tell you, he lost a beautiful wife, he lost two beautiful daughters, and he lost a beautiful son. He basically went nuts. I mean, just, it had to be about numbers. There was nothing else to understand. Anytime you met him, any, I don't care who you were, anybody on the planet, he had to talk to you and get you persuaded about, do you understand the length of this and the height of that, and how much importance it says. I mean, he, he became obsessed. You know, obsession can lead to, you know, oppression demonic oppression very quickly. But I'm just saying, so again, one of the things the cults do is they get you to major on a minor point to the point that you get lost in the midst of it. Like I said, you have to ask yourself, ask people, what are you listening to? What are you reading? Uh, anyhow, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living and the dead, and by and in the light of his coming and his kingdom, herald and preach what? What are we supposed to preach? The word. What word? My word? <laughs> oh, God's word. Herald and preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable or unfavorable. Whether it is convenient or inconvenient, whether it is welcome or unwelcome, you as a preacher of the word are to show, now this, some of you won't like this, I know. You as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. And convince them, rebuking and correcting, warning, urging, encouraging them, being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. And let me tell you, when you're in ministry, 
Some of you who, whatever you may think about me, some of you indeed will be pastors of churches. Some of you indeed will be in some place of leadership at some point. I guarantee you these verses like this will mean a whole lot more to you then. When it says that you have to be inexhaustible and, un, and unflagging in patience to teach. Verse 3, why? For the time is coming. And trust me, we're there. And the time is coming when people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction. But listen to this phrase, and this is the thing about itching ears. But having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another to a considerable number. Listen, chosen, they choose them, to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors that they hold. You catch that? In other words, let me tell you something. You will find what you want to find. This is why I tell people all the time, like when it comes to even ministry and studying and learning from different ministers and pastors that, that, are, that are solid. You know, there's many, many guys that are called, like there's guys that have a real apostolic calling, guys that have a real prophetic, guys that have a real pastoral, evangelistic, whatever. And we need to learn from them all, don't we? We need to have a revelation. We need to have it at least working with us, bring people in, whatever, that have a revelation of all the fivefold ministry gifts. But in the midst of all of them, you have to, you have to find out whether or not these people are holding fast to the Word of God. And you have, to, you have to begin to ask hard questions. You know, you begin to say, you have to ask questions about what, where, where is the basis of what they believe? What's the heart of what you believe? And you've got to be careful. Again, he's just, let me just sit with having ears itching. Itching ears. Everybody say it. Itching ears. <laughs> and what it speaks is this. You find something. Like it says, that satisfies. And I've I got it down here somewhere. I wish I could find it. It's, there's, a, there's a statement down here that I've got somewhere, and I don't, I'm not there yet, so I don't know what to go to. It talks about how when you, people that get into cults and get into deception, it actually happens because of a weakness that's in their own character already. There's a place that they haven't allowed the true love of God to touch. And so... They're hungry, and they're searching, and they're looking. But rather than accept and come to the actual love of God, they'll find something else. They'll get off on a tangent. I've seen it, you know, my, I've been, only been in ministry like just over 31 years, 32 years, but I've seen it time and time again. Somebody gets off on a tangent like this guy with numbers. And again, the issue is not whether or not there's some truth in what they're talking about. The issue is if it brings division, if it brings confusion, what's the end result? What are you trying to prove by your sudden revelation or inspiration? This area that you're moving towards, what is it that you're really trying to prove? Is it that big of a deal? Or is it a deception? But see, it's so difficult for people. I mean, Dr. Timothy Leary, you know, again, my drug days, when Timothy Leary, he was a genius up there in Berkeley University. He was a genius. But he got so caught up in the whole lysergic diethylamide acid, LSD, he got so caught up in it, you know, what I, that, and, you know, and I mean, I'm talking about thousands upon thousands of Christians followed him 
into hallucinogenics because they respected the strength of his communication skills. I mean, I was there in those days. I was there in those days. I was there in the early days, sadly, you know, when pure LSD, a little bit of drop on the sugar cube way back when. I used to go to bed with, I used to go to bed with, no, I'd wake up, I'd wake up the moment the thing went off, I'd pop acid. And it's never bothered me a bit. <laughs> never affected, infected, affected, affected me. <laughs> but I mean, I, but I mean, the thing is, I would sit and I would listen to him speak. And uh, just the intelligence, and you get, you get wooed over you go, my God, this guy is sharp. This guy is bright. Funny looking at Femi, I can't help saying it, but I mean, you know, that's how, that's where I met Jimi Hendrix. It was back in those days. All that kind of stuff. But you get so flipping deceived and you don't realize it because it's something that feeds. It's something, it's, it's feeding something in you that should only come from Jesus Christ. But that's just the truth. You can like it or lump it, but it's the truth. That's just the way it is. Now he goes on to say, or let me read the last part again. For the time has come where people will not tolerate or endure sound and wholesome instruction, but having ears itching for something pleasing. My, I just got to find something that just satisfies this something in me. Having ears itching for something pleasing and gratifying, they will gather to themselves one teacher after another. In other words, you're going to find somebody who believes like you do. Because misery loves company. You, you know, of course, you're going to gravitate towards somebody that thinks like you think. Now, if they're thinking good, your future's going to be good. If they're thinking wrong, your future's going to be funky. You hear me? And you can play, you can have all the justifications you have, you can have all the reasons. We're good at self-justification, aren't we? I mean, we're good. We're good. I mean, you know what, bless God, it's just because I don't want to, I have, I don't want to appear foolish in front of anybody. So, bless God, I've got 2,000 reasons why it's cool for me to live like I'm living. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tough. You know I mean, I'm bad. Never mind. Started to go in some old penitentiary jokes. I better not do that. <laughs> They're chosen to satisfy their own liking and to foster the errors they hold. Verse 4, they will turn aside from hearing the truth and wander off into myths and man-made fictions. I don't want anybody here to go through that. Galatians 5. I think I'm going to have to stop with Galatians 5. This is, again, a very familiar one. I haven't even got through my introduction, which is good. So, next several times I'm here, I mean, there's going to be a change here because Julie's speaking, also Steve during Chosen. But I really, I really, God won't let me get rid of this. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 1. Galatians 5, verse 1. In this freedom... Everybody say freedom. freedom. Hallelujah. Thank God for freedom. Freedom in Jesus Christ. Every cult will bind you. Every gospel truth will release you. In this freedom, Christ has made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then. Stand fast then. And do not be hampered and held ensnared and submit again to a yoke of slavery which you have once put off. Now Paul's actually referring here to the very first cult, really. 
the Judaizers, those who quote-unquote accepted Jesus, but said you still had to live under Mosaic law, which basically shot everything Jesus did in the foot. Because if you strive to keep one jot or tittle of the law, you were responsible for keeping all the law. The law was finished. Jesus said, it is finished. It was done. In this freedom, Christ made us free and completely liberated us. Stand fast then and do not be hampered and held and snared and submit again to a yoke of slavery, which you have once put off. Notice it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision, in other words, these guys were saying, hey, I still believe this part of the Mosaic Law. It was a big deal. You know, for thousands and thousands of years, every male Israelite needed to be circumcised because of the Mosaic Law. And here God brings some astounding, something so big, so huge, so, you know, the very token of the covenant of the Abraham covenant says, that's not necessary anymore. And they said, what? Unbelievable. Of course, because that's it. No, they didn't understand that in Christ, it's a circumcision of the heart. Something cuts your heart so deep. Something cuts your heart so deep that you can't help but live from the perspective of that cut. That is the love of Christ. It just bursts and slaps you in the face and a shed abroad in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. Notice it is I, Paul, who tells you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no profit, advantage, avail to you. For if you distrust him, you can gain nothing from him. If you seek, oh, verse 3, I once more protest and testify to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation and bound to practice the whole of the law and its ordinances. Verse 4, if you seek to be justified and declared righteous and to be given a right standing with God through the law, you are brought to nothing and so separated, severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. You've fallen away from grace, from God's gracious favor and unmerited blessing. Verse 5, for we are not relying on the law, but through the Holy Spirit's help, we by faith anticipate and wait for the blessing and good of which our righteousness and right standing with God, our conformity to His will and purpose dot and action causes us to hope. Verse 6, for if we are in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, but only, the only thing that counts is that is faith that's been activated, energized, expressed, and working through love. I'll say it until I have no breath left in me. It's about the love of God. If you know God, you're going to know love. If you don't know love, you don't know God. That's what it says in 1 John. If you don't know love, you don't know God. If you're looking something for something, if you're preaching something that makes somebody bitter, you're not preaching God. Do you understand me? You're preaching confusion. Verse 7, listen to what he says. He said, you were running the race nobly. Who has interfered? In other words, again... Who have you been listening to? What books are you reading? You were running the race nobly. Who has interfered and hindered and stopped you from heeding and following the truth? 
This evil persuasion, persuasion, subtlety. Beware of the subtlety of the devil. We're going to get to that either next week or the week after. This evil persuasion is not from him who called you, who invited you to freedom in Christ. And then it's verse 9 that I want to get to. Don't you understand? A little leaven. Really? Let's read the scripture together. Now, one, two, three, go. A little leaven. A slight inclination to error or a few false teachers leavens the whole lump. It perverts the whole conception of faith or misleads the whole church. How much leaven? How much leaven? Just a little. A little leaven. Just a little leaven can distort the entire conception of faith and mislead the entire church. Just a little leaven. Just a little leaven. (laughs) Hide yourself in God's word. Okay, I will read one more verse. John 15. John 15. Verse 1. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Any branch in me that does not bear fruit, that stops bearing, he cuts away, trims off, takes away, and he cleanses and repeatedly prunes every branch that continues to bear fruit to make it bear more and richer and more excellent fruit. But verse 3, when I first read this all those 27, 25 years ago, no, I'm sorry, 30, I've been over here 30 years, it's like 33 years ago now. But it says, verse 3 in the Amplified says, You are cleansed, you are cleansed and pruned already because of the word which I have given you, the teachings I have discussed with you. And the King James says, Now are you clean already through the word which I have spoken unto you? In other words, he says, The way I prune you, I know this is a basic Christianity 101. He said, if you're in me, I'm going to prune you so that you can bear more and better fruit. But he says, the way I prune you in the new covenant, the way I prune you is by giving you God's word. You are now clean through the word, through the word that I've spoken to you. In other words, if you receive God's word, that will keep you cleansed, that will cause you to be more and more fruitful, and that will cause many people to want to be near you. You know why? Because the old truth, remember, an apple tree, a fruit tree, doesn't eat its own fruit. If you provide, if you produce fruit, it's for somebody else. It's for their nutrition. He wants us to be fruitful. He wants our lives to be such that we feed other people, that we draw other people into the love of God. We draw the people into the wisdom of God. We draw the people into the peace of God. All of God's paths are peace. And then in verse 4, he says, Dwell in me, and I will dwell in you. Live in me, I will live in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit of itself without abiding in and being vitally united to the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. 
You stay in the book. I said it over and over to all of our musicians and stuff. I'm going to say it until you get so sick of me saying it that you're going to slap me one day. I don't care. Creativity, creativity, creativity. That's what we pray over and over again. Our God is the creator. Like I always say, I don't, I, 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 something in me tells me that he's possibly still pretty creative. Like we say, there are songs that have never been sung. There's chords that have never been played, ever. But you'll never find those unless you go to where they are. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever lives in me, and I am him, bears much abundant fruit. However, apart from me, cut off from vital union with me, you can do nothing. If a person does not dwell in me, he winds up getting thrown out like a broken off branch and withers. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire and they're burned. But if you will live in me, you'll abide vitally united to me. My words remain in you and continue to live in your heart. You will ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Because when you bear and produce much fruit, my Father is going to be glorified and honored. And you will show, you will show and prove yourselves to be true followers of mine. Amen. Stay in the Bible. Stay in the Bible, please. Father, you said that there are many deceivers, many false Christs out there already. There's all manner, all manner of conniving, cunning arguments out there that would keep us away from the truth, the simplicity of Christ. I continue to pray for all of our people, Father, that they will make you their center point, that they will make you the great foundation of their life, that they will repent if they've been away, if they've been gone, that they'll simply come back to the font of true wisdom. They'll come back to the life of Christ itself. They'll come back to the new covenant, to the new testament. That they'll come back to become people of prayer who will bow their knee and say, Father, Spirit of the living God, teach me, guide me, show me which way you want me to walk. Show me where you want me to go next. Teach me in your ways, O oh God, that I might walk before you and be worthy of your name. I just thank you, Father. I can't make anybody do anything, but I'm praying, Father, for such a spiritual hunger to come into the hearts of our people. I'm praying for such a decision, such a decision to be made, that they will always test every spirit, anything that comes, that, and just they'll test it against your love. Does it divide or does it bring life? Does it sever or does it bring peace? That's the end result of everything with you, is the love, the peace, and the wisdom, and that sweet satisfaction, like David said in the book of Psalms, where you get to wake up every morning having sweet communion with you. Hallelujah. We thank you, Father, that you've allowed us to have sweet communion with you. We thank you that you're teaching us how to go in and go out, how we come into your presence. We bask in your glory. We bask in the wisdom of heaven the very wisdom of the creator of all the heavens and the earth. And then we get to go out in the world and fix stuff that's broken. Hallelujah. We get to go out and fix stuff that's been broken. We get to go out and help people recover themselves from the snare of the devil who's been taking them captive all the time. So I give you thanks for our people. We will study. We will read. We will pray in the name of Jesus.
Amen? Amen. All right. Stand up with me. Hallelujah. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 